Good morning. And we thought we'd give you a little bit more time to, uh, to say hello and greet, because uh, we know when there's uh, some new, new people here. I want to especially say uh, welcome back, uh, university students. I know that uh, some of you, this might be your first time here. We're really glad that you're here. Um, just wanted to, uh, uh, besides welcome you, let you know that if you're looking for a ride to church, like I don't know how you got here this morning, but if you didn't take the bus, there is a bus route and kind of a bus group that gathers together um, on Brown's campus that uh, leaves in the morning, gets here on time, I guess. Um, 9.35. Okay, who said that? Okay. Is that Joseph? Okay, so if you're a university student and you want uh, more information about getting a ride or whatever else, stand up for a second, Joseph. He's the guy to talk to after service or if you uh, are feeling uh, scared by him because he's wearing a mask or something, don't be. Uh, but if you uh, forgot, forget about it or something, you can always email us um, from our website and find out any information that you want. Also, stop by the uh, welcome table, uh, if it's your first time, whether you're a university student or not, um, to get on the listserv. We're not asking you to become a member or anything like that, but it's always good to know what we're going, uh, what's going on, and we send out a weekly email to, to uh, just, you know, let you know what's going on. So, I have one uh, other announcement, and that is small groups. Starting this week, we have, I don't remember exactly how many we have, but we have them kind of all uh, spread around to Providence, and uh, I think we even have one in Fall River. Uh, I don't know if you're going to make that track, but uh, um, uh, doing uh, Bible studies and sharing life together. I'm not going to give the whole spiel. Scott does it every week. Last week, he actually got down on his knees and begged you to come. Well, we're not going to do that, but we are going to strongly encourage you to come, that this is kind of the backbone of... of uh, what Renaissance has become over the last couple of years, that, that we really find Sundays are great. Sunday mornings are great. You hear the word. You get to worship together in a larger group. But, but there's something special about small groups where you can share life and prayers. And, uh, you know, it's just great. Yeah? Does this church have a small group? Yeah. If you go on the website or if you're on the, the uh listserv, there's a, a list of different ones and where they're meeting and what time. So, yeah, um, you can ask at the table. Yeah. So, um, sign up, though. If uh, It just makes it easier for us to know who's coming and, and uh, just to stay in contact. Sign up for one of them. And, uh, you know, if you've had a bad experience with small groups in the past, whether it be here or somewhere else, don't let that keep you from coming this time. I really believe that God is really doing something special this particular fall um, with small groups. We've had some discussions about the meaning, the, the motivation, and uh, just I just feel extra um, excited about it this, this, uh, this fall. So I hope you guys are too. Sign up. Do it today. Because um, they start this week. Uh, the first one is on Tuesday, so. All right, um, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are here. Because it was your promise, God, that if we gather in your name, that you're here. 
And that's why we're here, God. For you, for your name. We're here for you, Lord. Thank you, God, that we can gather together. And that that's your will. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. All right. So, for those of you who haven't been around for uh, a couple of months, you probably know that we're going through a series in the book of Proverbs. Um, we're not necessarily going book like chapter by chapter, but we're uh, talking about different themes. And uh, so, that's what we're going to continue with this morning. Now, before I get started, before we get into the meat of the word, I have. It's not a confession. And it's not uh, an excuse, but um, <laughs> that's not a good way to start anything, right? Um, but I was talking to my, uh, my best friend, which I talk to, I talk to him every week, um, and I was talking to him on, this, on the phone this week, and, and um, I was telling him uh, kind of the outline of the sermon that I was going for and some of the verses and what I was going for, and he said, wow, that's, yeah. Have you thought about um, looking at um, when Francis Chan, one of our favorite preachers, uh, says about it. Uh, there's a video out there. And I said, yeah, you know, I looked at it a while back, and I, I, I'm actually quoting him once, I think, and I think he has some good things to say. He said, oh, you should look at it. So I got off the phone with him, and I uh, turned on the, the video, um, streamed it uh, off of YouTube, I think. And um, as I was watching it, I was shocked. I was shocked because... As I'm watching this, I'm saying, he is preaching the exact same sermon as me. Exact. Um, and he's using the same verses that I use, because you could use different verses. He, and then I was like, he plagiarized me. <laughs> he didn't plagiarize me, but, and I do have looked at some of his stuff, but if you happen to run into it later on, it's very similar. But I promise you that I did not plagiarize him. I used some of his material, but I, was, I had already had my outline. Then I watched it, and I'm like, well, this is crazy. So then I thought, well, maybe it's just God saying the same thing. Maybe this really is God. So take it forever, you, whatever you want. Maybe I'm a plagiarizer, but at least I'm admitting to it so that the, the courts couldn't come after me. But, or maybe he plagiarized me, which is, I really think, you know, I mean, Francis Chan goes on our website all the time and watches, especially when I preach on uh, once a month. So, anyway, enough about that. So, um, we're in Proverbs, and I'm actually going to start at the very, very, very beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. So, if you have a Bible, you can open it there uh, with me. And I'm going to go through verse 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. 
to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And the verse that we will be focusing on this morning, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Another verse down in uh, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this morning we're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord. Now, when a couple months ago we kind of were going through the series and knew who was going to speak when and that I was going to speak um, one of the Proverbs messages, God immediately put it on my heart. And I'm not saying like I'm a great like sage or whatever and I hear from God all the time. I think I do sometimes. I try to. I knew that fear of the Lord was what I was going to speak on. Partially because I, God had been speaking to me, working on my heart about that uh, a little bit, and um, I didn't want to <laughs> in my flesh. And I could tell it was my flesh. See, there was a couple reasons I didn't want to speak on the fear of the Lord. Um, one, I was worried that it would be more than I could handle intellectually. Because I don't think I've really understood it. I think I've sort of avoided this topic for the past 20 years of my life, in some sense. Now, I was not totally satisfied about my lack of understanding in this essential aspect of how we ought to relate to God. But I guess I was satisfied enough with having a misguided or incomplete understanding of what the fear of the Lord really entails. And I knew it would take a lot of work, a lot of study, a lot of reading, a lot of exegesis, and a lot of prayer to really plumb the depths of this idea in like 25 minutes. So that's why I'm going to speak two hours today. I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, I, I really, you know, I knew it was going to take a lot to plumb the depths of this idea that I've really had a hard time grasping. And then I thought, well, how can I, how can I actually share this on a Sunday? How can I preach something that I don't know myself? And the second thing is, I was worried that it would take, be more than I could handle sort of on an emotional level. I was truly concerned that I had a sense that studying and delivering this word would wreck me, you know? I mean, the fear of the Lord sounds like a scary thing. And that it would leave me so broken that it would take me months to get back to my self-confident, sanguine, worldly-wise, comfortable life. Well, in response to that, about not being able to handle it emotionally, I get the feeling that God isn't all that concerned about me not getting back to self-confidence, worldly wisdom, and a somewhat comfortable life. I think he likes the idea that I'm, or we, are unsure and fearful of what might happen to us if we really, really get a vision of the fear of the Lord. I think with my own fleshy, sinful heart, I don't, I don't really want that. I'm okay. But in my spirit, I want him to change me. I want to be changed all the time. Make me more like Jesus. That's what we want, right? As a church, as a people? Okay. Yes? Okay. So, I think if we listen, 
not just now, but, you know, as we listen to God, he will rearrange us. He wants to mess us up. Because we can either be messed up and overtaken by the fears, the stresses, or even the seemingly good distractions that we have in our lives that ultimately lead to spiritual death. Or we can be messed up by God. That's your choices. Because apathy doesn't lead to, to anything except just getting more stressed out and stuff. So we can either be messed up and be overtaken by the world, or we can be messed up by God, who is also a God who is the only one who can and wants to put us back together better than we were before. And in answer to that first question about really getting a grasp or a better definition of what is the fear of the Lord, well, this morning, I don't have that answer. I just have some sense that it's bigger than me and bigger than my spirituality and my pietism. Nobody seems to know how to answer this really well. Somebody asks you, what is the fear of the Lord? You may have some ideas, but in all the study, all the honest, you know, truly honest preachers, teachers, even academics I've listened to the past couple months and read articles and read books and listened to podcasts, they all come down to one point, that this fear can really only be defined by one word. And that word is fear. Francis Chan says, fear means fear. And so I think it's not that hard. It's actually simple. But for a lot of us, especially those of us who tend to be overly cerebral, we're not okay with simple. When sometimes we just need to be. And so this morning, with the rest of the time, I just want to share some thoughts to kind of bring home what I think is a complex but really simple truth. Those things are in, uh, you know, they both work. God is complex, ultimately complex. But I think this truth is somewhat simple. And so that's my goal. So let's start where the writer of Proverbs puts this fear of the Lord. I think that there's a reason that it's at the beginning of Proverbs. A book that's all about gaining and walking in wisdom. Because it seems there's a condition for getting this wisdom, knowledge, insight, understanding, guidance, etc. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's the condition. The condition for getting all this stuff is the fear of the Lord. That's what it says three or four times in, in even the book of Proverbs. So we start at the beginning. And whenever you're starting at the beginning of talking about the things of God, you think about who is the beginning. Who is this about? It's about God. The Lord God. The one true God. Now, uh, without getting too much into it, um, if you're not familiar with the way the Bible came together, the first, the Old Testament, uh, was written in the uh, language, the Hebrew language. Um, and uh, then it was translated and has been translated to all these other languages, including English, is which, what we read. Now, in the Hebrew language, God actually had a personal name, a proper name, which was Yahweh. Now, you don't hear that word a lot, 
Um, and you certainly wouldn't hear that, that word um, or see it written in biblical times by the Israelite people. Because in Hebrew tradition, the name is too holy, too sacred to utter with your lips or write on papyrus. I have some uh, Orthodox Jewish friends who won't even write God out. They'll, if they're writing a paper or something, they'll write G-D because it's too, too sacred. And I took Hebrew in, in seminary, and we were supposed to translate all of our, our Hebrew. But when we got to that word, we weren't allowed to translate what it would actually sound like. We had to uh, use this word Adonai, which is also a, a word for God, but not as, as, as holy and sacred. Um, so we had to use Adonai, and I would always get confused. They'd be like, what is this word? And then I'd, somebody would be like, oh, that's Adonai. I'm like, it doesn't look like Adonai at all. It starts with a Y or whatever, like the um, Hebrew version of Y is. And we did that in respect for the Jewish tradition, but also to honor God's name, just like they did. And I think they had something here, because, um, because Scripture teaches that our God is holy and majestic and glorious and awesome. And do you believe that? Do you believe that? Okay. I got to make sure of that because if you don't, then we got to go back to some other stuff. When Scripture talks about the fear of the Lord, it is often in reference to his holiness and his glory or his terrifying anger and wrath at sin, wickedness, and injustice. Another term used a number of times in Scripture that is uh, used for God is that he is a consuming fire that destroys everything. You get the understanding that anything sinful, even a bit, even a drop of sin in an ocean of goodness cannot be in the presence of God because it would be burned, raised, destroyed, annihilated. God hates sin, and we should hate sin too. God is a lion. The Bible said that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he has a wild passion about holiness. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay, good. Okay. Then what? What is the fear of the Lord? How do we define it? Well, as I've said, I I think it's a hard topic to talk about. And here's one of the places where um, Francis and I agree. Uh, We seem to have a similar uh, upbringing in the Bible. I think almost every time I've encountered this term in a sermon or a Bible study or even in, in reading books, articles, it's kind of been avoided, uh, even at times sort of discarded, the fear of the Lord, and then given another name. Oh, well, what it really means is, you know, something sort of softer or more palpable, like honor, reverence, respect, awe. Now, I think all those may have something, could find their way into the fear of the Lord, but I don't think they even reach the, the outermost part of the depths of this, what this really means. Because if Scripture really means these things, why doesn't it say that? All good translations of the Bible use this term, fear. 
we are to fear the Lord. And here's the thing. If great teachers and biblical scholars have a hard time with it, well, maybe it's because it's one of those, you know, mystery of God things that we just really won't fully get until the end of time. But I don't think we ought to be satisfied with that. I think that we should look to the Bible a bit deeper and let our example come from Scripture. Sound good? Well, let's take a look at what happens. One of the places that we find God and we find out uh, about the fear of the Lord is in the Old Testament. There was a temple in Jerusalem, which used to be a, a movable temple, the tabernacle, as the Hebrew people were being uh, coming out of slavery from Egypt. It took them a while to get to Jerusalem and build a temple. They had a, a moving temple. But in both of them, there were many different sort of areas of, of the, the temple. Um, there was the courtyards where more people could be in there, and there were these other areas. But in the middle of the, the, the t- temple maybe more towards the back a little bit, there was this tent. And within the tent, there were two chambers. The first chamber was called the holy place, where only priests could go in there, and they did sacrifices, they did, performed other rituals. It was, they could go in there a little bit more often. And then there was the next chamber, which was uh, covered by a veil. You, you, there, was, there was a separation. That next place was the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And within the Holy of Holies, there was one thing. And that was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if any of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, that's what they're talking about there. And if you saw, like, towards the end, I think they may have gotten it right about what happens when you are sacrilegious when it comes to that. See, uh, in, the, in the Ark of the Covenant, there was the original Ten Commandments, and there were a couple other things. But what made it spectacular even more than that was it was completely made of gold and covered with gold. And then on the top of it, there were these two uh, carved images of seraphim or angels with their uh, wings stretched out like this, one like this and, and one like this. That was called the mercy seat. And why that's important is that within that mercy seat, God dwelt. It says that the presence of God dwelt on the mercy seat, on top of the tabernacle, between the the seraphim. Now, the people, and and we know that God still created the universe, had order over it, um, you know, was everywhere, but in a real deep sense, he was truly there in a special way. So much so that only the high priest could only go in there once a year to atone for the sins of Israel, and he had to go through this whole ritual of how to dress and what to wear, how, how to put it on. He had to have blood sprinkled on him. There was oil that was on it. He had to have clean hands and certainly a clean heart because he was going in and he was going to be in the presence of the Lord. And if there was even a drip or drop or mistake that was uh, there, he would die. Now, I was thinking about this recently, and I was thinking, why did God, like, why was he so into all these rituals and stuff? Like, and he was. This is what God said. This is how you come in. in, in. 
not going to get long into it, but there's a real meaning in each one of them that every one of the rituals and every one of the garments that the priest wore points to Jesus, a prophetic word about Jesus. So there's a real reason. Now, there's this tradition. Some people say it's true. Some people say it's not. um, That um, they would actually tie a rope to the high priest when he went in um, on the Day of Atonement. And that when he went in in the Day of Atonement, he would also have bells on his garment. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard it a lot of times. But it makes, it makes a point. And that, like, as he was doing his rituals in there, if the bell stopped ringing, that means, well, he's not moving. He's dead. And that's why they tied a rope to his uh, ankle, because if he's dead, nobody can go in and get him, so they would have to pull him back out. So whether it's true or not, you get the idea that God is pretty holy and that if you're not holy and you go in and you do that, you die. But apart from that story, wherever the presence of the Lord is in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is not bound by space or setting. Earlier than the tabernacle, you find Abraham having this experience where it says that God kind of shows up in this, this weird vision and dread and darkness overcomes Abraham. This is the king of, not the king, but the father of the Jewish nation, the father of the, the Muslim nation, actually. Abraham was scared. When Moses saw the, moaning, uh, the burning bush, it says when he heard the voice of God, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. I get the sense of like, it was like a child like covering his face when he or she's scared and saying, make it go away, make it go away, make it go away. It wasn't just like, oh, I can't see God. No, I think he was fe- fearful because that's what it says. He was afraid. Uh, the people that were following him, when he ascended to Mount Sinai, uh, Moses, to get the Ten Commandments and talk to God, the people were too close too afraid of God's presence that they wouldn't even go near the mountain. They wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't approach it. And then you get later on in the Old Testament where you run into some of the prophets. Like Daniel in Daniel 10. And if you want to read Daniel 10, it's it's wild. This vision that he has of, of the Lord is just weird and wonderful. So he has this vision, but it was pretty intense. He said, as I had had the vision, my strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man, the Lord, speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Ezekiel has an almost uh, exact replica, but a different type of vision. And some of the other prophets In the New Testament, you hear about different um, experiences, but I think one of the most telling ones is um, in the book of Revelation, where John, the the disciple who maybe was closest to Jesus, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, who used to rest on on Jesus' shoulder and and, uh, was really close, he gets a vision of Jesus. And he said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. You hear about these other guys in history, like Martin Luther had like an experience like that, and you just hear about these guys, and you're like, wow, whatever they saw was pretty intense. 
they must have understood the fear of the Lord. And then what I see as maybe the most vivid, spectacular, and terrifying vision is the one that you read about in Isaiah chapter 6. A lot of you guys have heard this before, but I'm going to read the first five verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, if any of you have seen the old clips of when Prince Charles and Princess Diana got married, you saw the train of her robe was like halfway across the, the, the aisle. It's this big... God's robe filled the whole temple. I mean, that's intense. I mean, that's, at least to me, that seems pretty spectacular. And above him were seraphim, live seraphim, live angels, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it seems to me that as you read in some revelation, some other places, that that was their job. That's all they did for all eternity because that's all they could do. And at their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined. Another version says, it's all over. I'm doomed. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. They've seen something I have not. Have you? Do you wonder if you haven't? Why? Because it seems to me, if you read the Bible, you can't avoid it. You run into this term, the fear of the Lord or the fear of God, all over. Dozens, maybe a hundred times in Scripture. It's in about three quarters of every book of Scripture. And it's not just the spectacular stories and visions, which there are a lot of those, but in God's instructions in daily life that we ought to fear the Lord. Like Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. And it says it over and over in Proverbs and even more in the book of Psalms and then all over. But again, what is it? How would you define it in words? Well, I think the only way we can describe the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, is by saying what the results are. And I think, you know, I I think I've read these stories that we just read kind of wrong in the past. Like, wherever they were, they had this couple seconds of deep fear and taking in his glory. And then the next couple of minutes, it was like, okay, I get it. Now what? I don't think so. I'm not sure, but my guess that it is that it took some time for them to, uh, you know, first realize that they weren't dead. Um, 
but realized that they should be dead because God's holiness and glory was there. And they knew that sin could not exist in the same place. Um, and they got the realization of their sinfulness and guilt. I don't know, maybe hours, maybe days, maybe weeks. I don't know how long it took, but I'm sure it wasn't just like a boom, one-time thing. And then they're like, okay, yeah, that was intense, and let's move on. I'm going to write it in my journal and not look at it again. My favorite author is A.W. Tozer. And he says, wherever God appeared to men in Bible times, the results were the same. An overwhelming sense of terror and dismay, which we have read. A wrenching sensation of sinfulness and guilt. And he puts those together. So the immediate, maybe it lasts for an hour or a day or a couple weeks, but the immediate results are an overwhelming sense of terror and dismay. I think because of the wrenching sensation of sinfulness and guilt that they all had and that we all should have. If you're not there, you need to get to the point where you read 1 John and you take it for what it says when it says, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That is very clear. All of us are sinful. Even if we just, not all of us are murderers or bank robbers, but all of us have pride, all of us struggle with uh, sexual immorality, we watch things that we should, all of us have some sin issue, or many sin issues. All of us have sinned. And if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves. So to see God and realize his holiness and our lack would be to me the most terrifying thing I can think of. There's no comparison here. You don't contrast God's holiness and our sinfulness. You don't contrast. They're wholly other, completely different. It's like taking um, the blackest, blackest, black, like so black, so dark, that it's like beyond nature, so black. It's just completely black. And then taking white and the whitest white that's, Completely, again, like beyond nature. How do you compare them? I mean, they're completely different. They're opposites. In the same way, our sinfulness opposes God's holiness. We can't oppose God's holiness. God's holiness, when it comes in uh, the presence of sin, consumes and destroys it. And that's what happens when you truly, that's what happens when you truly get it, when you really start getting the fear of the Lord, when you really realize what is the fear of the Lord. And you can bet that these guys, Isaiah and so forth, didn't forget it and carried with them throughout their lives. Okay, but why? Why does God do it this way? Why does he show up in these ways? Well, I think to help us remember and recognize who we're dealing with. He's God. And to expose our sinfulness to ourselves. To make us realize how desperately fearful and wonderful he is, but how desperately we are in need of a Savior. Because that's not all he does. That's not the only way he wants, uh, reason he wants to show us to himself in the 
understanding of the fear of the Lord. Why else does he do it this way? He does it this way to burn away our sinfulness, that we may walk and live daily with our Savior and Holy King. My favorite line from any book or any movie ever, they took it out of the movie. I don't know why they did this. If you've ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy, the little girl, finds out about Aslan, which is this lion who represents Jesus, not a tame lion. And she's a little bit fearful, and so she asks Mr. Beaver, who is a talking beaver, most of the animals in there are talking, wise, wise guy, he's very wise. And she says, well, he's a lion, is, is he safe? Mr. Beaver's like, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, he's a lion. But he's good. Mm. Take that in. He is not safe. He's wild, passionate, fearful, terrifying. But he's also good. And so in all these cases, after all these experiences of great fear and dread that we read, God says to them, now, fear not. You got the fear of the Lord, now fear not. Now let's go do something great. Isaiah, I'm going to touch a coal uh, to your lips. That's going to make you forgiven. Moses, John, Ezekiel, Abraham, Daniel. I'm giving you a ministry, a purpose. You needed to understand who I was first. And yes, it's true. God has great plans for all of us. But let me step back and say we should not, indeed, we must not, Put the cart before the horse. So many of us want to do great things for God, but sometimes we just need to stop or pause. For that greatness for God, it is essential that we experience God for who he really is to understand the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But you know what else is conditional on getting the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 19 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. The fear of the Lord leads to life. What life? The life that God the Father gave his son when he came as a human being. The life that Jesus speaks about himself saying in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life, and life more abundantly, or life to the full. Certainly he's talking about the life to come uh, in eternity in heaven. But just as much he's speaking about this life. Here and now, in Providence, Rhode Island, September 19th, 2021, right? Jesus came to set the captives free today, to lavish his mercy and love on us today. God's word promises this full life of rest. But are you static? Are you satisfied where you're at? Or do you want even a fuller, deeper, freer life than you currently have? Well, I do. Do you want a deeper relationship with Jesus? The fear of the Lord is the entryway to intimacy. God is described as a good father, a friend, a brother, even a lover. 
passionate with love and mercy for those who are his. So passionate he died for us. So passionate he forgave us of our sins. We can never dismiss this. This is the gospel, the good news for the world. But let me say this morning, maybe you've never really experienced or thought about the fear of the Lord. I'm not saying we all need to have spectacular visions, but we need to be open to what God wants to do. And why not? Why wouldn't he show us a spectacular vision? He hasn't changed. Or maybe you have experienced the fear of the Lord, but really haven't thought about this in a while. It's time to go back to the beginning. Do you want to understand the fear of the Lord? Well, if you do, you need to approach him humbly. With all your sin and junk, he knows about it anyway. And ask him. And this is what I've been asking for a month. I still don't think I'm fully there, but every day I've been asking God, help me understand, show me the fear of the Lord. Help me understand what it really is to fear you in all your holiness and all your glory. It's scary, and I don't want you to hurt me, but I need that. So we're going to end with a, a, a video, um, just a three-minute video, and then I'm going to uh, come back up, and uh, the worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to respond. So. The Word of God says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like if you have never feared him. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, does tremble really mean tremble? Does it just mean respect? That is ridiculous. You guys, there were people in the Bible, I'm just telling you, when Isaiah saw God, it was like, whoa. It, it, that, that term doesn't do it justice. Whoa, seriously. It was like the strongest term. It's like, oh, woe is me. I'm about to be destroyed. I just saw him. I just saw the, he's going to kill me. He's going to destroy me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips and I just saw the God of glory. I'm dead. John, the beloved apostle, man, the one whom Jesus loved, when he saw Jesus in his glorified state, he goes, man, oh, when I saw his eyes were like fire, his face was like the sun, there's a sword came out of his mouth, and I just fell at his feet like a dead man, I just collapsed. I don't think they were ready. Maybe in their heart they didn't imagine him being that way. It didn't matter, that's what they saw. Job, Job, remember Job in Job chapter 42, he says, he goes, man, I, my ears had always heard of you, God, but now my eyes have seen you and I hate myself. Those were his words. I'd always heard of you. I, I, I went to chapel, I, I went to Bible study, I went to, and I'd heard about you, but now that I see you, I hate, I hate myself. I can't believe I ever questioned you. I can't believe I was doubting. I'm just going to shut up. I'm not going to say another word. That's what happened when people saw him. It was fear. Fear means fear. But God. 
being rich in mercy. Whether you believe it or not, that being up there actually is rich in mercy. He wants to forgive. Because of his great love with which he loved us, Okay, whether you've ever been loved by dad or whatever, and you've never understood how an authority figure can also want intimacy with you, I'm just telling you, it's true. He is that powerful, and he wants you that badly. There is a holy God. He is coming with his holy angels to judge the world. He alone is the judge of the earth. You don't come to the end of your life and get to judge him and question him. He questions you. He's your creator. Crazy thing is, he wants you. That's the greatest joy you're gonna find in life. Is when you understand you have a holy, holy, holy judge for a father who's rich in mercy, full of love for you. going to take a time to respond. We've got uh, a few songs to go through. And I'm just going to um, encourage you to respond. Now, you can stay in your seats. You can stand up. You can sit down. But I'm not, I'm not asking you to make yourself comfortable, because this isn't comfortable. We don't typically do altar calls here, but if you want to really seek after God, I'm going to say this place, this open, this place is open. Come down here, get on your knees and cry out to God. Pray that you would understand the fear of the Lord. Um, if you need prayer about something else, uh, the prayer team is going to be over by the worship uh, or the prayer room. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, well, I don't, I don't even, this is kind of beyond me. I, I don't even really fully understand it. And I don't really understand Christianity or, or the church or whatever, but you sense that God is tugging you on some way. I'm saying that that tug, don't just pass it off and say, oh, this is just a one-time thing. It may just be a one-time thing. I'm not, but maybe God is really tugging on your heart. Again, I'm not calling everybody to come forward, but what I am saying is that don't just try to make yourself comfortable or don't feel like, oh, everybody's going to be looking at me. It's not about you and your, your friend or neighbor. You know, maybe this is your first time. Oh, it's my first time. I don't want to look weird. This place is open. Again, you can walk around. You can stand up. You can sit down. You can come to the front. You can go get prayer. I'm going to stay at the front because I feel like I really need to do, uh, uh, do some business with God myself. So the worship team is going to play. And, um, uh, you know, when they're done, you know, they'll let you know. So respond. <laughs> 